Outreach Montreal. Thank you for being here. Good to see you all again. As was mentioned, this... Just figure this out. Last time for now, uh, filling in during Dustin's sabbatical. We're so glad, you know, that they're transitioning back in, that they'll be here with us. But it's really been such an awesome privilege to get to be here with you. And I think, um, I don't know how it all fell this way, but, you know, on my last sermon here, I'm preaching on lament. Why lament? You know, maybe it's because uh, Jeremiah, who's traditionally believed to write lamentations, was known as the weeping prophet, and I've earned a little reputation as the weeping preacher, maybe. Um, or maybe it's because, you know, we've become so near and dear that I need to teach you to lament before we go on from here. Anyway, that's just a corny joke. But we're in Lamentations, believe it or not. We're taking a little step aside from the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be in Lamentations for five weeks. There will be a few weeks in the book of Lamentations, a couple weeks pulling from other parts of the Bible, um, from the New Testament, but we're looking at lament and joy. This is part of the idea of having an authentic faith, an authentic Christianity that's not always happy and clappy, and, but actually faces the hard things in life too. So you can open your Bibles to Lamentations. I'm going to be covering um, some of these scriptures all the way from verses, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 4, which just Jeremiah is pouring out his lament over what's happening in Jerusalem and in Israel. We're not going to go verse by verse and cover all of these uh, chapters, but I'll jump around in here. So, um, but I'd love a little interaction from you too, because lament is kind of a unique subject. When I was first um, aware that I was going to be preaching on this, I didn't quite know, how am I going to preach on lament? What's that all going to be like? It's kind of a foreign idea, unless you dive into it. So what is lament? Any ideas on what is lament? An experience of sorrow. Mm -hmm. Regret is a big part of lament. Mm -hmm. Crying out. So what kind of things do we lament? What kind of things do we regret or that we cry out about or experience sorrow? Death is a big one. We, we grieve and we experience sorrow and we lament death. Definitely. Yeah, suffering in all kinds, physical suffering. It can be chronic suffering. We lament these things. We lament sin. We lament the fact that things are not the way that they should be, that we live in a world where suffering occurs and where death occurs. We lament these things. And like Pamela uh, told us too, we, we have a place in scripture where we can bring our lamentations. We can bring our lament. So... Yeah, uh, but like I said, this is kind of a gray area for some. Unless you know what is lament and what it's for, it can seem like a just a strange idea. Uh, it's not something we happily, like, oh, I'm excited about lamentations, except when I told Pamela when she asked, what are you preaching on? I said, lamentations. She's like, wait, are you joking or are you serious? Because if you're serious, then I'm excited about it too. Um, some people are excited about lament. And now that I've had a couple weeks to really dive into this, I'm excited about lament. Once you know what lament is and what it's for, it unpacks this beautiful area of our relationship with God and a facet of his glory and grace that we can 
enjoy so much. So that's what I'm excited about today in Lament. It can often be underappreciated, though, if we don't know what it is or what it's for. So that's what we're going to answer today. What is lament and what is it for? Um, because we all do experience pain in life. This is real. We don't live in some imaginary world where we don't suffer, where we don't experience pain and sin and the effects of sin. Now, a question, though, here, is there a difference between human pain and Christian pain? Human suffering and Christian suffering. See, for Christians, we know that there is the promise of hope. When we speak about the gospel, it means that there's an answer to our suffering. So there is a difference in the Christian experience to suffering. But again, we don't always experience hope immediately in life through the suffering that we face. Uh, sometimes we endure for a long period of time before we arrive at experiencing that hope that we know is true all the while. We also have a tendency to skip too, you know, far too quickly ahead through our suffering and just want to arrive at the happy ending. We, so, so sometimes that's something we could do is we, we tend to shy away from pain. We shy away from suffering and just jump ahead too quickly. Sorry, I keep fidgeting with this. I'm just trying to figure out these uh, popping noises here. So the reality is that we might have to endure suffering for a prolonged period of time. We might have to endure, and, and you might even have a life of suffering. So we don't want to ignore that, that there might be very long periods of suffering with a knowledge of hope and still missing out on the experience of hope in certain ways in this life until we meet Jesus face to face. But we, this is why we want to cover this subject is because we want to have an authentic relationship with God that acknowledges all of the, the lament we do experience. We're going to, next week cover the subject of hope. We're going to go on a deep dive into hope and we're going to uncover all this kind of hope. But because we have this habit of jumping ahead too quickly, I'm not even going to touch on hope today. I'm going to try not to touch on hope today just to honor the subject of lament and how this is very real for all of us and will be at some point as we endure um, sin and suffering in our life. So there's three areas uh, that I want to cover in, in this subject of lament. How through lament... We, we can recognize sin and suffering in our life. Through lament, we can respond to sin and suffering in our life. And through lament, we can rely on God through sin and suffering in our life. So we recognize, we respond, and we rely on God through all of this. God gives us this subject because he knows when life is hard, between pain and promise, we have lament. So let me pray for us in that. Father God, thank you for the grace that we have in lament, that between pain that we experience and the promise that we know and believe, we have this avenue to come to you, to plead with you, to speak with you um, all of the suffering that we do face and all of the sin that we endure. So open our hearts and our minds, God, to understand and appreciate your grace today. Open my heart and my uh, lips, God, to proclaim your glory through lament. And uh, we just thank you in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen. So let me give a little backstory, a little context on Lamentations, this whole book of the Bible that you find between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It's after Isaiah. If you go in your Bible and you want to find it that way, it's in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah was a prophet. So a prophet is one of the 
one of three key roles in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. A prophet was someone who speaks God's words to God's people. A priest was someone who intercedes from God's people to God. And a king was someone that leads God's people. And so Jeremiah was a prophet. And the Old Testament is the history of God's relationship with his people before Christ came and brought a new covenant in that relationship. This was the Old Testament, the old covenant that they had. Um, and there was a promise that this covenant was based upon. It was based upon the promise from God that I will be your God and you will be my people. I will bless you. I will make you my people. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And your side of this relationship is to honor your God as holy, to be a holy people as I am your holy God, and to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he gave them the, the law and the prophets and uh, just all of the, the statutes and commandments of God to inform their relationship with him and that they would not sin and that they would honor God and thrive and have abundant life in their relationship with him. So it was all about a relationship with God, but there was these commandments in that relationship of, the, uh, of how to thrive in that relationship with God. So unfortunately, this relationship was a bit dysfunctional. God would never break his promise with his people, but his people continued to break the promise with their God. It was a dysfunctional and toxic relationship at some points, and God sent prophets like Jeremiah to speak to his people and to um, plead with them to return to uh, their way of following God and of obeying God. But obeying God has a cost. Obeying God has its burdens. But what we'll see in Lamentations is that, yes, there's a cost to obeying God, but there's a far greater cost to disobeying God. Eventually, the people continued to, to disobey God's God's laws and uh, to transgress their relationship with God and they would find that eventually to ignore God's um, to, to ignore prevention of sin to ignore God's rules is really to embrace condemnation from God and so that's where we come into this uh, picture of condemnation of the people of Israel and of the city of Jerusalem picture when you condemn a building it's condemned to be destroyed it's something you demolish but you demolish it with the intention of rebuilding, of rebuilding something stronger because you can no longer kind of redeem what's there. You have to knock it down and rebuild from there. If you uh, go a little further in the Old Testament and you find Ezra and Nehemiah, that's the picture you want to see about rebuilding what happens here. But this is the demolition process. This is demo day in God's restoration plan. And so today we're just going to look at the demolition that occurs in Israel, even though we know God has a plan for his people. He's not abandoning his people, but he has a plan. So this lamentation, this moment in time, this demolition gives us a firsthand look at, the, at sin and at suffering as they experienced it here. So we're going to look at how to recognize, respond to, and rely on God through sin and suffering. First, how does lamentations or how does the practice of lament help us to recognize sin and suffering? You know, we, we need to recognize sin in our lives. Just like the people of Israel, they need to, to recognize and be aware of sin around them. 
Lamentations also helps us to recognize suffering that we would otherwise not see. If we don't recognize sin, then we will be unaware of imminent consequences. If we have a check engine light and we totally ignore it, there's going to be consequences. So looking at lamentations helps us to be aware and recognize the warning signs of sin, that we would actually hear God's call and turn and repent. Israel had been living in sin. They knew God's law, but they kept on sinning. God spoke through Jeremiah, but they kept on sinning. Uh, Jeremiah even demonstrated the, this relationship with God in the ways that they were breaking it, and they kept on sinning. Nothing would get through to them. They were so steeped in sin. It's not like they were trying to overthrow God, like, let's just turn against God and be our own God. It wasn't that intentional. They were so gradually steeped in sin and idolatry to the point where they had become deaf to hearing God's word. They couldn't hear God's word anymore, and they preferred to hear other prophets who would give them some kind of false good news than, than to hear from Jeremiah the honest truth. They became deaf. They became blind to sin. They could not see their sin for what it was. Um, they set up idols in place of God, and their hearts became so hard to the point where only a hammer could break them. That's the point that they had reached here in Lamentations, that there was this rot um, taking place behind the facade of religion that had condemned the whole structure. Um, this rot of idolatry needed to be exposed, so the facade needed to be taken down. That's where we are today. And so let me read a few verses here of how we see that Lamentations makes us aware of sin, and we recognize sin from here. Verse 5, her foes have become the head, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. This is happening because of sin. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. Verse 8, Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. So it was because of these sins, Jerusalem sinned grievously. Verse 14 says, my transgressions were bound into a yoke. My transgressions. And by his hand they were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. And he caused my strength to fail. Verse 18, the Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. Verse 22, let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. And verse 13, this of uh, chapter 4 actually, this was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquity of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. And ver um, chapter 4, verse 22, the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer, but your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. So why do we see when we read through Lamentations, um, just the scripture reading we heard this morning and some of these verses here, we see that it's based on sin. There's this ex it, it exposes sin that was happening the whole time. Their transgressions, their iniquity. People were sinning against God. And the writer here acknowledges that. He says, we recognize our sin. We, we are aware this is happening because of our sin. This yoke on our neck right now is because of our sin. We take full responsibility for the consequences of our sin. Lamentations helps us to recognize sin. There's a quote 
from one writer that says, when pain topples our idols, lament invites self-examination. And so lament invites self-examination. Pain invites self-examination. We examine ourselves. We search ourselves. You can see in these verses just how sin was exposed for how it really was because pain had toppled all of their idols that could no longer save them. And sin was exposed. They've realized what they've done. But you and I are similar to Israel. You and I are, are, are just like these people. We haven't smartened up in our technological age. Maybe you and I in some ways are even more steeped in sin or distracted with technology or just... Um, blind or deaf to our sins as they were that day. We can't just look at them and say, oh, they, they were really dumb not to see the signs, the warning signs. But Lamentations helps us and invites us with retrospection to look at ourselves today with introspection. We can look at Lamentations in retrospect and then look at ourselves through kind of the same mirror of Scripture and wonder, um, what are the idols in our lives going on behind the surface? What have we been blind to this whole while in my relationship with God, in, in my priorities, that, that I've just kind of been unaware of, that I need to recognize sin because of how clearly they recognize sin here in Scripture? I think of this in terms of hospitality. What you want in your life, you will make room for. You will prioritize what you care about. And God calls us to a, a relationship with him where we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But when we measure up our lives and our priorities where, where our love really is, then we don't always see. Yes, we fall short of a, of a life that is devoted to him, that loves him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know there are idols going on underneath that. And we say we love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. But there are other priorities that come in. And so that's kind of what this introspection gets us to look at. Um, you make room for what you want in your life. Hospitality is just that. Um, when you go into a room in someone's home, you can tell based on the design or functionality what that room is for. So what, by looking at your life and the layout of your life, have you made room for God? Can people tell that your life has a design and functionality around your relationship with God? We should ask ourselves. Um, later on for Israel, when they went through the restoration process, this hospitality, this prioritization was a huge part in their steps of repentance that we'll look at. Where Nehemiah went in and he changed the very functions and aspects of their culture and society. And so we'll look at that too. But first they had to recognize their sin. And at this point, the pain of suffering is the only thing that could communicate and expose the sin that they had going on. So uh, you and I, we can look at this as an example and learn from this and to look at our own sin. Just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. So, yes, we can look at this and see this is an example for us to learn from. One of the ways that I'll give as an application point to recognize our sin is prayer. And uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to preach on prayer. Someone's going to preach on that. 
but I would recommend this practice to you. It's called the prayer of examine, or the daily examine. It's actually something from St. Uh, Ignatius. It's kind of become a Catholic thing, but it can be redeemed also in our prayers as this way to finish your day with a prayer of examine where you, you kind of look back over your day, um, kind of like pressing replay on a video. And as you think through the moments of your day, you take account of all the evidence of grace that you've had that day. All the things, that, the ways that God has shown up, all the things that you can be thankful for, and you take account of all of God's grace. But then as you go through your day, you also kind of press pause on the moments of your day where you were not loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, or strength. You had prioritized something else, or you were not walking in love, you were not walking in the spirit, you were walking in the flesh. And we take account of that. We recognize sin, and we can lament it. So there's a, you call it what you want, but this kind of prayer can help us recognize sin by lamenting it. So I would recognize that. But now there's suffering. We easily ignore sin, but we need to recognize it. Suffering has some of the same effect. We, we often um, ignore suffering that goes on in our lives and around our lives. Like Pamela said, we just keep plugging away. But lament calls us to recognize suffering, suffering in our lives, suffering in others' lives, so we can sympathize, but we can also intercede through suffering and through lament. So this doesn't just give us a view of sin, um, it also shows us how we suffer under the effects of sin. Yes, we are the ones who have sinned, but we are also victims of sin. We suffer because of sin, and this is something we need to honestly face in our lives. Lamentations is really a helpful tool for us if you read through the, this book. And even if you want to read through the message translation of this book, it kind of brings into a more readable um, transliteration uh, some of, the, of what's going on in this book. And it's just a quick five chapters you can really get a lot out of as the Holy Spirit ministers. This book for generations of God's people throughout church history, through the New Testament, Lamentations was a key tool because when you read through it, we're called into lamenting for suffering we haven't experienced. We did not experience this suffering. Jerusalem did. Israel experienced this suffering. But by immersing ourselves into this suffering, we can sympathize with the suffering that they experienced that we have not. Because we have a tendency to avoid, to avoid pain. And that's a natural thing. We, don't wanna, we want to avoid pain to a certain extent. But oftentimes we become so insulated from pain that we can't even sympathize with other people. We can't sympathize with things that really should resonate deeply in our hearts because we just want to avoid it. We don't want to go there. I, sometimes you hear some devastating news and it's like, my brain doesn't even have room for this right now. We want to avoid it. I, I don't know where to put that in any category in my life. I can't, I can't shoulder that sometimes. Lament brings us into the suffering that should resonate in our hearts. And it gives us a place where we, with what we can do with that suffering, with what we can do with that burden, we can shoulder those burdens. If we just go through life avoiding um, the reality of suffering around us, honestly, um, in, in, in our culture, or just speaking for myself, I far too easily just lament first world problems, you know? when I'm going through the Tupperware and I can't find a lid that matches, or cling wrap that doesn't cling and you just get so frustrated, or living in Canada and, and you know, I, I can't satisfy any of my American food cravings, 
you know, there's things that I lament, but these are just first world problems. But when we um, really adopt the practice of lament, the spiritual practice of lament, we can recognize suffering around us. Because like Pamela said too, it is all around us. There is suffering taking place every day around us. Doesn't take long to realize when you're listening to somebody in your neighborhood that there's real pain, that there's real suffering. And without Christ, they don't really even know what to do with it. We should listen to some of these stories. Get to know your neighbors. Um, I wish I could share some stories uh, this morning. I just don't have time for that. And I would, I don't know if I could hold it together. But, you know, that's, that's a practice that we can, can take on, on our way this week to be active listeners with our neighbors, with a lens for suffering, with a lens for lament. Um, this really requires us not to avoid but to listen. So um, the, the idea there, too, with encountering our neighbors, with being uh, an active listener with your neighbors, is that... It's, it's not just me, it's not just Dustin, it's not just the pastors who are going to go out about in, our, in the West Island this uh, week and hear all the suffering that our neighbors encounter, but you will. It's you, when your neighbor, when your friend is encountering suffering, they're not going to come to me. They're going to come to you. They're going to come to their friend, their colleague. Because of the love and the patience that you've demonstrated, you demonstrate someone who has a living hope. And the Bible tells us to be ready, prepared, to give a reason for the hope that is in us. People will see the hope that you have when you endure through the suffering that we all common, all in common share in life. But they will come to you in their need. And so, guys, we get to do more than send positive vibes. We get to lament. Christians get to enter into suffering and not avoid it. We get to lament it. Reading Jeremiah's Lamentations can help us walk in his shoes. It equips us to better see the suffering around us and intercede with prayer. This leads us to respond to sin and suffering. Once we're able to recognize it, how do we respond to it? Um, we respond to sin. Okay, We recognize sin. We recognize that there's idols. When we peel back the surface, there's idolatry going on. We should take our time to recognize that idolatry, but now how do we respond to it? Lament gives us the tools to respond. Lament gives us the voice, the voice of repentance. Um, in, the, in this book, in uh, Lamentations, Israel recognizes their sin. How do they respond? Jeremiah responds with lament. He laments, he regrets what's happening here. He uses this juxtaposition. That's the kind of contrast of two opposite ideas putting two contrasting elements together, he laments what is happening. Um, and, and this is really actually a work of poetry. It's a song that was meant to be memorized and remembered by God's people. And so he uses this imagery to easily remember and recall um, a response to sin in their lives. When, you, when you've been wrecked by sin, we can respond with uh, confession and repentance. This is a passionate expression of grief and sorrow over the loss and the death of what should be. So let me read a few verses here. In uh, verses 1 and 2, Jeremiah writes, 
How lonely sits the city that was full of people. He contrasts lonely and full. How like a widow she has she become, she who was great among the nations. He contrasts widow and great. She who is a princess among the provinces has become a slave, princess and slave. Um, she weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They've become her enemies. He's lamenting, uh, responding to sin with this grief over what has happened. He says, Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. He's remembering what they had in verse 7. And then in verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he says that the, how the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold has changed. The holy stones lie scattered. He says the precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots. The contrast between valuable precious gold and worthless um, pots. And then in verse 5 of chapter 4, those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. Look, we regret. When I asked about what is lament, uh, at first, regret is one of the words that comes to mind. We regret. Oh, we regret. We regret that things have come the way they are. We long for how they used to be or how they should be in our relationship with God. And we regret what has happened. We regret what's happened, but we long for what will come. And in the middle, we have lament. Between regret and longing, we have lament. We lament for these things. And lament brings us into confession and repentance, how we respond to sin. Um, Jeremiah confesses the sins of his people. He, he regrets and he puts into um, kind of this liturgy of repentance exactly what they're experiencing here um, in this poetic structure. It, uh, the first couple of chapters in Lamentations in Hebrew are actually this acrostic poem that go through their whole alphabet, A to Z. Um, they, each line starts with the first letter, um, or the first line starts with the first letter, and they go, he goes through the alphabet recounting all these Lamentations. So he puts into poetry everything that they're experiencing, and he, he kind of puts their regret and their confession and repentance into song. Sometimes we incorporate confession into our own personal lives, in our accountability, in our small groups. Um, sometimes even on a Sunday, in our liturgy of just where we center our hearts um, in our order of worship, we can include confessions, corporate confessions of sin that lead us to recognize and respond to sin that we, we might not otherwise confess or respond to. But also, lamentance leads us to repentance. It would be foolish to lament sin and then turn right back to doing it again. To repent is to take this 180 degree and turn from sin and turn to God. So this is how we respond to sin. We respond by repenting. Lament leads us to repent. Right now we're just looking at the humility of Israel and later on they will take the steps of repentance. But first, in order to repent, humility precedes repentance. You need this humility in order to rebuild and to turn to God. So this sets the stage for repentance. So in our lives too, we need to recognize sin. We need to respond to sin. 
through humility, and that leads to repentance. Um, we also respond by lamenting for others, uh, not just for ourselves, not just for our sins, but also for others. Um, and actually, let me see, I skipped ahead here. Um, as, we, as we cover sin and we get into suffering and how we respond to suffering. Um, so yeah, we, we respond to sin, but we also respond to suffering. How do we respond to suffering? We can either hide from it or we can learn from it. When suffering comes our way, a lot of times we tend to hide from it. Here we, we want to learn from it. Um, just like I mentioned in the first part of how we recognize suffering, yeah, we don't want to avoid it. We want to uh, look for it, actually. But how we respond is not by avoiding, but actually um, learning from it. Lament gives us the category to learn from suffering. So there's different nuances to suffering and how we learn from suffering, uh, but lament gives us that, that category. It allows us to voice the disjointedness in what we're experiencing between what we know is true about God and his blessings on us through the gospel and through his grace and what we're actually experiencing in the day-to-day. -day. Gives us the voice to, to actually come to God with our complaints, with our suffering, with the real hard things in life and, and honestly speak to God and tell him how bad it is. Because we have a God who sees you, who hears you, who cares, and who can do something about it. That's why we don't have to avoid suffering. We don't have to hide from suffering. We can learn from suffering because we have a God who invites you to lament. There's no one else in the world who does that. There's no other God that we can fabricate who will invite your lament and your honest complaints about life and also hears you and sees you and cares about you and can do something about it. But our God can. Our God sees you and hears you. And he invites us to lament. That's why I was just so surprised in the past couple weeks studying this that we have the place with God to lament. That he doesn't tell us to just, you know, shut up. I, I don't know how else to put it. That he doesn't want to, that he doesn't say, I don't want to hear it. He asks us. He wants to hear it. He delights in hearing our lament because he knows and he sympathizes that life is not the way that it should be because of the consequences of sin. He knows and he really cares. So we lament with patience. We lament with patience in our own suffering. Um, we can't skip right on ahead to the promise of hope ahead. Sometimes we have to endure patiently, but patience doesn't mean not doing anything. Lament gives us the tools to, to really to um, patiently, uh, to, to wait patiently, uh, to actually wait actively. It's like an active patience is what we're doing, not just a passive patience like, oh, I'm just going to wait for it to pass, but to actively wait, and, and we actively wait by lamenting. But we also lament not just for our own suffering, but we lament for others too. We lament for the suffering that they experience. This gives us a different way of sympathizing with others other than just hearing what's going on in their life and shrugging and saying, oh, life sucks. You know, like, oh yeah, we're in the same boat. And that doesn't do anything. Lament gives us um, 
the, the tools to hear the suffering that's going on, but enter into their worldview agreeing, yes, this, this isn't great, but I actually know why life sucks and who can do something about it, to put it that way. As Christians, we can sympathize with lament and not just shrug and say, yeah, me too. We can actually enter in with greater hope. Uh, we can enter into their pain and say, even what affects you affects me too. I can, I can hear your burden and I can be a, an active listener and hear your suffering and say, yeah, me too. Um, but not in the same way of like, oh yeah, me too. I guess we can't do anything about it, but me too. Um, what's, in other words, what's, what's good enough? Uh, uh, what, how do I want to say this here? What wouldn't be good enough for me shouldn't be good enough for you. This picture came to mind. A few of us in our ministry went for a prayer walk in one of the neighborhoods around us that is well acquainted with suffering. The, the whole population of Cloverdale Village is a demographic of people who have come here from war-torn countries and extreme poverty and are starting life anew here, and yet you still go to this neighborhood here, and yeah, there's a lot of consequences, there's a lot of suffering that goes on there. And when you do a walk around that neighborhood and you kind of, well, we did a prayer walk where we are looking and lamenting at, at some of the effects and consequences of sin and suffering around us, well, we see broken glass on the areas where kids should be playing, on the basketball courts and stuff. And so lament allows us to say, well, this wouldn't be good enough in my neighborhood, so it's not good enough here. We need to do something about it. And so we spent hours this summer just going in the neighborhood, and as we were there, we would pick up whole bags of trash, um, and sweep up the glass and, and pick up the trash. Lament allows us to say, "What well, this wouldn't be good enough for my kids to play here. It's not good enough for any kids to play here. Your pain is my pain. Your suffering is my suffering. That's how we should look about the world around us and say, I care about what you're going through. Other, otherwise, we just say, oh, it's not my problem. We can't just go through life and say, it's not my problem. But you know what? We didn't clean up the whole neighborhood this summer. And every, sometimes it seemed like you go back the next day and it's worse than it was the day before. What purpose does this have? But lament has a purpose. You can't just change the whole world, but that's the point. That's just it. You cannot change the world. That's why we have lament, so that we can reach out to the one who can. That's why we do this. We're not going to solve every problem. But the solution is outside of our grasp. That's why we call on God for desperate grace and desperate mercy. So sometimes it seems futile to just look and see all the problems around me. What am I going to do? I can't fix anything. But we can take all of that in and bring it to God because he can. When someone cry comes crying on your shoulder, when they are hurt, by sin and by suffering, we don't just say, oh, that sucks. We don't just send positive vibes. We lament for them and we lament with them. In fact, lament can be one of the best tools of evangelism. In a world where when sin and suffering occur, people don't know whether to cry or punch a wall. I heard somebody tell me when they experienced suffering, they came crying, they said, I don't know whether to cry or punch a wall. But to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. When you don't know whether to cry or punch a wall, you can lament. We have somebody who hears. 
We don't just cry out into the void. We don't just take our frustration out at an inanimate object. We are coming to the God who hears and listens. And we can do that with other people. That is a tool of evangelism. When people who are suffering come to us because of the hope that they see, we can lament with them with all honesty. So now, final point here. We've seen how lament helps us to recognize sin, helps us to recognize suffering. We don't just ignore it. Um, Lament helps us to respond to sin by repenting. Lament helps us to respond to suffering by entering in and, and coming to God actively. But lament helps us also to rely on God through sin and through suffering. So, yes, we recognize sin, we respond to sin, but we also rely on God through sin. Sin in this life, suffering in this life, they turn us to trust in God. Uh, in fact, when it comes to sin, the one we've sinned against is the one who's powerful to forgive us. The one uh, that we've sinned against and, and to whom we are indebted is the only one who can save us. So we rely on God through our sin. Um, God is also sovereign in our suffering. We can rely on God through our suffering. Um, even when the completion of God's promises for us sometimes brings suffering to us. God is at work in you, and sometimes to bring about the completion in you, he, it will bring suffering to you. So take a, a look with me at these final few verses where we get a view on God's sovereignty and his hand in suffering and in, in the sin uh, consequences of sin that Israel experienced. Chapter 1, we see in verse 12, he says, Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. The Lord inflicted the suffering and sorrow that they experienced. Do you experience sorrow in your life? Sometimes God is actually the hand that brings sorrow. Verse 14, my transgressions were bound into a yoke, and by his hand they were fastened together. God's hand is involved in taking the sins that are our sins, but he fashions them as a yoke. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. Verse 18 says, The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. Verse 20 says, Look, Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me, because I have been very rebellious. And then Lamentations 2 has so many examples of how the Lord did this, and the Lord did that, and the Lord, his hand, was involved in all the suffering. And then verse 17 says, the Lord has done what he purposed. The Lord had a purpose in our suffering. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. So why does God have a hand in our suffering? Why? It's a good question. As a loving father, we can expect that God will discipline the children that he loves. But we're getting into the subject of uh, discipline, which is, uh, can be touchy because there's instructive discipline and there's um, corrective discipline. God is a loving father who disciplines his children, but not all of your suffering is corrective discipline for something correlated to something you did. It's not always a direct consequence. Sometimes he has instructive discipline where the suffering that we experience is meant 
beyond our own ability to even recognize sometimes, is meant to bring him glory through a deeper, more profound trust and faith in our relationship with him. It instructs us. It teaches us about us. It teaches us about him. And our suffering can sometimes be that teacher. Uh, this quote just came to mind from a show uh, where this psychologist was helping um, her patient and she said, look, in order to be a mentor, sometimes I have to be your tormentor. Um, so sometimes we learn from suffering instructively. Other times we learn through corrective discipline, like Israel was on a trajectory of rebellion from God and God allowed suffering to change their course, to bring the humility necessary for repentance and to rebuild um, to a greater glory what he uh, the, the reality of his relationship and his love for them that had gone astray. He was correcting them through that. Through um, lament, through lament, we can rely on God even despite our sin. Even through our sin, we realize that God is God and I am not. Sometimes we get to a point in our life where our hearts really are hardened to the point where um, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I don't need to rely on God. And God reminds us, yes, you do. Yes, you do need to rely on me. You still need to rely on me. And that's a loving thing, like a loving father. Sin wrecks us. Sin really wrecks us. A lot of times we don't recognize sin, and we, it's like a um, that check engine light that we ignore. But sin really wrecks us. And through lament, we can realize we have no other hope but God. Just like Israel realized that, uh, wow, I have no, it says no more lovers left to come to my side. God alone is the only one left I can reach out to, and he seems to be my enemy, but yet he's the only one I have left. None of my other friends showed up when I was in my worst, worst place. And look, these verses and lamentations are not a hostile complaint against God, even though it does say, God, you did this, you put this yoke on my neck, you did all these things, you stretched out your hand again. Um, it's not a, just a complaint against God. It's, um, it's an honest confession of their need for God. God is the master and we need him. And the problem all along is not the messenger, the problem is not the message, problem often is with the recipient. So we need to acknowledge this as we rely on God uh, through our sin. Um, he disciplines us to bring us back. Fortunately, we, we do not just have lamentations as an example to us. Yes, we have God's word, and in God's word, we see all the ways that we can thrive in an abundant relationship with God. We have his whole word but we also have a relationship with God through Christ. Unlike Israel, we don't just have a prophet like Jeremiah who can lament with us. We have a savior who can lament with us. We don't just have a Jeremiah to speak to us. We have the Holy Spirit to speak to us. In Christ, we have an advocate for us in sin who reconciled all of our sin on the cross where sin was dealt with once for all. Sin has been dealt with once for all. And because of Christ, we are reassured that, yes, even though we face consequences of our sin, the punishment for our sin has been accomplished. We do still face the consequences of our sin, but the eternal consequences of our sin has been dealt with. 
Jesus faced the eternal consequences that we deserved to face. And now we have the freedom from condemnation we sang about. This is our celebration, freedom from condemnation. We look back and we see the example here in the Old Testament at the condemnation we have freedom from because all the suffering went onto Christ's shoulders. If we are in Christ, then we also have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit whose job is to convict us of sin and to bring righteousness. Because look, like Israel, we are so dull to even recognize our own sin, but we have the Holy Spirit who does that for us. The Holy Spirit is living and active inside us and can recognize our sin for us. Not only does he confront us in our sin, but he comforts us in our suffering. So as we turn to this last point on suffering, when we experience suffering in life, we can trust God. He disciplines us to instruct us. He's training us. It's not pointless. Your suffering is not in vain. In the same way that working a muscle trains it to carry greater weight, the spiritual exercise of lament prepares us for future hardship. He's training us through suffering to be uh, comforted um, by him, but also to be a comfort uh, to others. God is the God of all comfort. And we can comfort others with the comfort with which we have been comforted. But that comes through experiencing suffering and learning the lessons instead of hiding from them. So on the cross, yes, our sin was dealt with in full, but so was our suffering. Your suffering has been dealt with on the cross. God deals with sins justly. That means he accounts for all of the sins you've committed, but he also accounts for all the sins that have been committed against you, which have caused your suffering, even if they were also used as a tool for your instruction. You may never hear the words of apology that you long to hear. You may never see the effect of justice that you long to see in some of the areas of suffering in your life. You may never get to hear that, those final words from someone who has caused pain. But we can look to Jesus. We can lament to Jesus because vengeance belongs to God. That suffering will not be resolved at the hands of someone who caused it, but it can be resolved through God who resolved it on the cross. So we can take all of our suffering to, to Christ through lament and say, God, I cannot do this. The suffering is real. Would you do something about it? Would you help me, God? He's the one who can bring justice. Vengeance belongs to him. And Jeremiah, he had enemies. And God invited Jeremiah to voice his anger as well. And through lament, we have the safe space to vent our anger with God. Look at Lamentations 4, chapters, uh, chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. He says, look, rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. That's their enemies, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. Look, you can rejoice for now, but this is going to come to you too. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. That's his way of saying that you will be overwhelmed and exposed by sin and the consequences. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. Israel, the punishment is done. He will keep you in exile no longer. He will bring you back. He's prophesying. But you, Edom, your iniquity, uh, he will punish. He will uncover your sin. So yes, um, God will uh, hold to account those who have even caused us suffering. And he does this all through the cross. 
So here's a couple ways that we can practice lament. I've talked about um, looking at the book of Lamentations, but also in our day-to-day -day lives, in our relationship with God, practicing lament. Here's a prayer of lament that you and I can take home with us today or this week. Start in silence and just be quiet before God and let him, the Holy Spirit, expose in our hearts how he wants us to recognize sin and suffering. Cry out to God. Address him. Come to him. He is the God who hears you and who sees you. Bring your complaint. Bring your complaint to him. What are you complaining about? Your pain, your suffering, your heartache. He wants to hear it. But bring your affirmation of trust. You're not putting God on the stand to, to answer to you. Reaffirm your trust in him. What has God done in the past? What evidences of grace have you seen in your life that you can hold out as true um, that affirm your trust in God? Then bring your petition, your request. What are you asking of God? What are you asking him to do? You are his child. And if, a, if, a, if, if we know how to give, give good things to our father, uh, our children, how much will our heavenly father give good things to us who ask? We can ask him. We can bring our request to him. He wants to hear it. Add an additional argument. Add, add, add why should God intervene now? God, why should you intervene now? Why, um, because of this, God, I want you to act right now. We can ask him. And then we, we can rage against our enemies, the suffering that we've um, endured. We can um, lament the, the people or, or systems that have caused us pain and bring it before God. And we can even talk to God about what we need to feel heard. What is it that would help us to feel heard? God, again, he's a loving father. He hears us. Uh, fill in the blank. God, I would be heard if you were to do this or that through this pain, through this suffering. But promise to offer praise to God. Whether I see this or not, I will praise you. Again, God doesn't just answer to our beck and call. His ways are not our ways. He is God and we are not. So we offer him praise no matter what. And we are reassured by our um, faith in him and the truth of his attributes, his unchanging attributes, who he is. God is love. God is eternal. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. Reaffirm and voice your, your love for him and thankfulness for him. So next week, we're going to look at hope. We've covered lamentations. We've covered lament today. Next week, we're going to look at hope. Um, so I'm going to leave you with this one verse as a to be continued from Jeremiah. If you look at if you go to your Bible and you look at chapter 3, I would really recommend you to do that right now. I'll read verses 19 and 21. But having read the sin and the suffering from these few chapters, we should read verse 22 with such a greater weight. Let me read verses 19 to 21. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continues, continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. To be continued. Verse 22. Therefore I have hope. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your love for us, uh, that you allow us to lament the sin and the suffering that we experience in life. Help us, God, as your people to carry lament with us as a tool for reconciliation and restoration. God, help us to come to you and lament. Sometimes we don't, but we need to. 
but help us too this week to lament for those who are suffering around us, for the sins that we see around us. God, we need you and we thank you. Amen.